Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. It is April 17th, 2018. I'm joined by Michael Warren and Andrew Egger of the Weekly Standard. So, gentlemen, let's just jump right in there. What was your first reaction when you heard that client number three was Sean Hannity? Uh, well, I was, uh, Charlie, I was in the office here at the Weekly Standard, and I think I shouted, What? really loudly, uh, causing my colleague, uh, Alice Lloyd to spill water all over her laptop. So it was a, it was a big, uh, <laughs> it was a big moment. Uh, just, just because Is of the ha- laptop. Okay. Though? Uh, T- TB- like TBD, um, it's undergoing rehabilitation. Yeah. That's what I hear. Um, the, it was, it was so shocking because it was, it's just so weird. I mean, it, it, you could not you could not make it up. You would, you the would say of the house of cards, the writers of the house of cards would never come up with something that implausible. Right. You would so, think, you would think this and, is ridiculous. And, and I want to get your answer too, but my first reaction when I was a little bit delayed, um, because I was doing something else and I looked at Twitter and I saw this and I honestly thought for the first three t- uh, tweets that it was a parody. I just thought there's no <laughs> way, even in the world we live in now that Sean freaking Hannity would be client number three. Well, that was actually a uh, pretty close to my reaction too, which was first just, uh, sort of putting my head in my hands and realizing that all of the sort of conspiratorial uh, Never Trump folks were on Twitter were going to be really insufferable for the next couple of days. Just, you know, we knew it. We all knew this uh, that this sort of thing was happening, and now it's all coming unspooled. Yeah, well, no, nobody knew this was happening, although my first reaction <laughs> um, when, when I got a phone call about it was, uh, Lordy, I hope there are tapes. Can you imagine <laughs> what a conversation between Sean Hannity and Michael Cohen would be. So let's let's just go back to uh, what happened yesterday in in federal court. Uh, obviously, this this dominated all of the news. Um, e- even though Stormy Daniels herself was present with uh, her attorney Michael Avenatti, because these folks have figured out that they need to counter program the Trump show. I mean, isn't that one of the the, this, the the themes here? Is that we've been living through the Trump reality TV show. And it took a porn star and her lawyer to figure out how to do some counter-programming. So let me get some sense from from you, Andrew Egger. I, I, I think by now it's conventional wisdom that the Trump folks are more worried about this Michael Cohen investigation than they are even about the Russia collusion investigation. Right, yeah. And it, it all, on the surface of it, it's disconnected, right? Because on, you know, in terms of what's actually happening in court, um, this is very far removed from anything that has to do with Russia. Um, on, on the surface of it, it's it's Stormy Daniels, you know, going to court in order to try to convince a judge that this, uh, you know, non-disclosure agreement that she signed prior to the 2016 campaign, or sorry, election shouldn't be enforced. It, you know, whichever way that ends up going, it really doesn't make an enormous amount of difference publicly because obviously Stormy Daniels' story is already out there. Um, she, you know, she she's laid out all of her cards. We know what 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 she says happened and things like that. Then the slightly uh, tangentially connected to that issue is, and this is how we get into you know the the raid on Michael Cohen's uh, offices and and uh, hotel room uh, on April 9th, is that uh, Robert Mueller apparently has uncovered some sort of evidence to the to the uh, effect that Cohen. Uh, in, in matters related to this non-disclosure agreement may have violated the law himself, perhaps by making, you know, an in-kind contribution to Trump's campaign. So so that uh, was apparently what was uh, referred to prosecutors um, and that allowed them to seize documents. Now, the the one further complicating issue is, and this and this is less related specifically to what's happening in court, but this is what the Trump people are uh, most unhappy about, is that obviously when the FBI or uh, prosecutors raided uh, Cohen's 
home and office, they scooped up, vacuumed up a bunch of documents that weren't necessarily related to uh, the Stormy Daniels thing. And so obviously, you know, they, the courts are trying to hash out now exactly how they're going to be able to review that um, and and what, what processes are going to be used to ensure that uh, Cohen's attorney-client privilege with Trump and with his two other clients, including Sean Hannity, um, are is upheld. But what the Trump people are worried about is that, um, you know, even if uh, there are documents that are, you know, leaked to the press or leaked even to Mueller's team as uh, as outlandish as that might be, you know, that would that would make it impossible or at least very difficult for Mueller or other prosecutors to use those documents in court. You know, that, you know, any any sort of sure. misconduct by prosecutors in that way would uh, would, you know, essentially uh, get get the case thrown out likely. But what but the, their contention is that, you know, you don't need to uh, take Trump to court to damage his presidency. You know, any any leaks to the press from this uh, team that might be set up to review these documents, uh, you know, of, of any wrongdoing by Trump or even just unsavory conduct by Trump would obviously be, obvi- obviously be very politically damaging to him. So that's sure. why they're uh, so up in arms that there's a possibility of prosecutors going through these documents at all. Well, and 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 also the fact that the Michael Cohen, who is a what was the line on Saturday Night Live? Are you a lawyer? Well, ish. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he, Lord knows what uh, what is what is in all those those files. And you know the the scary part I would think from from Trump is that this poses a, the existential challenge to his business. This opens up a door to not not to what's going on necessarily in Washington. Or in his political world, but but back home and in the whole Trump Incorporated. Let's go back to Sean Hannity because we have to go back to Sean Hannity and Michael <laughs> Warren. Um, the, the you know he is trying to brush this off as no big deal. He never actually paid Michael Cohen any money. Um, but uh, this does strike me as to use the a really Weasley word problematic for <laughs> for for Sean Hannity and Fox News. Your thoughts? No, I agree. And uh, let's let's back up even just a little bit farther. Uh, Hannity's contention that this he's not really a client of Michael Cohen is, of course, in in contention with uh, Cohen's claim in, in court that he was his third client. So, I mean, that, right there, that's sort of um, you're getting awkward. into a he said, he said awkward situation. <laughs> um, but I, I do think that this is it's problematic in a narrow sense, which is that uh, uh Sean Hannity has spoken on his uh, radio show and on his TV show on Fox News about the Michael Cohen raid, um, blasting the FBI, blasting the um, U.S. Attorney's Office uh, for conducting it without disclosing, right, that he was a client or had at least, you know, sought legal advice from Michael Cohen. Um, So on that sort of narrow uh, uh, issue, this is a problem. But I think more broadly, it's revealing of kind of the uh, the incestuous relationship incestuous. between a, a certain a- aspect of conservative media, um, conservative New York media in particular, uh, and Trump world, and the kind of uh, lawyerish types that seem to be uh, kind of around them as well. And I think it reflects um, again that incestuous relationship that makes it uh, at the at the very least um, really uh, interesting, and at the very worst um, suggests that that there may be more going on that the public who's watching Sean Hannity every night, the highest rated show on Fox News, um, doesn't know about, and would probably benefit from knowing about that relationship uh, even more. The, the the counter to that is. If you watch Sean Hannity's show, there's there's no uh, bones about it. Um, he is right. uh, supportive of Donald Trump. <laughs> He's not objective about it. And uh, if you don't realize that, you don't realize there's a close relationship, then you're not paying attention. 
Well, and then it also raises the question about are there any standards for for this kind of uh, punditry? Uh, you know, it, obviously he, he's he's not objective. He's not trying to be even handed. You know, are we have we moved into a post ethics era when it comes to to the, the, the conflicts of interest and then the disclosures of folks like Sean Hannity. I, I want to go back um, to, uh, to to Andrew, but there's, there's a couple of things that are kind of nagging at me. And I was listening to a very, very long and uh, detailed discussion of uh, the investigation into Michael Cohen, uh, how close he is to Donald Trump, and the speculation that 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 if they in fact do find uh, illegalities on Michael Cohen's part, that they might get him to flip, and what a monumental development that would be. But I guess based on everything that I've heard, Andrew, the the, the prospects that Michael Cohen, who is the Ray Donovan-like fixer, and by the way, that's a reference to the Showtime um, uh, series, not to uh, Reagan's former labor secretary. Um, the, the chances that he would actually flip strike me as really minimal. I just can't even imagine it. But then, of course, we live in an era where we have a lot of things on a daily basis that happen that you couldn't imagine. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, and I, I, I say this with the, you know, precaution that I don't, uh, I'm no lawyer. I don't even really dabble in law recreationally. Um, but I, uh, I, I, I agree with you. I think that, um, you know, that for, for, for one thing, this is happening, uh, all these things with Cohen are happening in a federal court, which means that President Trump could, if he uh, had the desire to, he could he could issue a pardon to Michael Cohen. It probably would not even be that politically damaging for him to do that, uh, at least mm-hmm. among his base, just because everyone who's are, who's on Trump's side already is completely bought in that all of this, uh, that this raid was overreach. I mean, even a lot of people in Congress are saying that the raid uh, was was just sort of beyond the pale, which we haven't seen a that, lot that of with the Mueller the state, probe. The, the state legal problems though mm-hmm. right well yeah and then we'll we'll see how that goes um but but yeah i mean it's anything that uh, that that cohen has um anything that president trump has done you know illegally potentially uh, cohen would be wrapped up in that as well it's it's hard to see a situation at least from where i'm sitting that 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 Mueller at least is able able to flip and, him and, and charlie i mean this is what you have michael cohen around for so yep. that he doesn't flip on you and i think that um is 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 was evident there was that the, all those photos um on friday I, I believe of cohen and his buddies just sitting on the sidewalk in somewhere in manhattan S- smoking cigars yeah exactly i mean they, they had the sort of sense of uh you can come at me with with everything and i I'm, I'm still going to be uh, uh, protecting Mr. Trump, and I think that that will be borne out. The other extraordinary thing about all this is you look back, uh, we're, we're talking about payoffs to porn stars and, and all of this and you know the catch and kill stories. It, it shows a certain naivete on the part of Trump world because, as we now know, had all of that come out during the campaign, it probably wouldn't have made a difference, right? Is there any indication <laughs> right. that Trump world or the evangelical Christian leaders would have actually said, okay, no, we're willing to put up with the Access Hollywood video and all this other stuff, but if you were actually banging Stormy Daniels, well, that's <laughs> that's it. That's a deal breaker. That wouldn't have happened, would it? No, but I, I think it, it was it's reflective of um, perhaps a, a, a acknowledgement within Trump world that – uh, their hold on Republican voters was tenuous during the election. I mean, yes, we sort of look at it in terms of, um, wow, look at all these things we learned about uh, about Trump during the election and, and still Republicans stuck with them. But I think that's an acknowledgement that um, they f- they felt like, and I think that this is probably true even now, even though President Trump has such high approval ratings among Republicans, that a lot of that is soft 
uh, a very soft support. And, and we never the, could have imagined it, it would go that far. Exactly. Okay, I want let, let, let's let's switch gears to uh, the piece you have up, uh, Michael. Um, the uh, Trump walking back Nikki Haley on Russia. This is an extraordinary story because Nikki Haley, the U.N. ambassador, is on national television, CBS, on Sunday morning saying that these new sanctions would be announced as early as Monday against Russian companies that might have enabled uh, Assad's use of, of chemical weapons. This was the big story. It was the lead on The New York Times. Within 24 hours, we find out that Trump said, no, we're, we're not doing that. Uh, essentially just cuts her off at the knees. Michael Warren, what happened? Uh, your guess is as good as mine, Charlie, <laughs> about what happened. I mean, it really does seem like, well, I shouldn't say that. Look, this is um, a White House where decisions like this uh, happen all the time. Reversals uh, where the president himself, a very mercurial man on on, on all these sorts of issues, uh, will make a snap a decision. Deal, though. No, it is a big deal. But look, I mean, very, very sensitive. No, but but, you know, you look back, um, you know, as Steve Hayes and I reported uh, last year, uh, this is the way decisions were made about uh, about, say, the Iran deal and decertifying the Iran deal. And um, and and this is this is the way that the president is. He's sort of swayed uh, at the last minute if he feels like um, decisions are being made for him and he's not able to make the decision himself because either the people around him are forcing his hand. So we don't know exactly. Exactly. The White House's line on this is that uh, is that Haley kind of misspoke or, you know, sort of got ahead of what was in a planning stage. Um, but, you know, you listen to what she said on CBS. It was very specific. It was clear. it was that Mnuchin was ready. The secretary of Treasury was ready to do this. Now, we had been waiting for, um, you know, some kind of background briefing information about these uh, from from the White House press office, and we didn't get one. And then so that was a good, good indication that something had changed. Perhaps Haley did get out of her skis, or uh, perhaps um, the, the the fact that she uh, said this uh, and and sort of moved faster than than the president wanted to um, made him pull back uh, from this. It's hard yeah. it's hard to say, but it's this is not the first time something like this has happened. But it is, as you say, uh, on a issue of a very um, a very much important issue. Well, well, this also comes at a time, and Andrew, there have been a series of stories, I think the Washington Post had a sort of a behind-the-scenes story of the way that uh, Trump has been battling with his advisors over over Russia. They're pushing for a harder line, and he is pushing back and complaining about it. Um, and clearly, though, the embarrassment for Nikki Haley, who who strikes me, first of all, as, as, as very sharp and not likely to misspeak about something like this, but also reportedly very, very close to the president. In fact, there have been some suggestions that she goes directly to the president to clear what she she said. So, uh, I, you know, how, how do we how do we interpret, you know, a, a flip flop on what you would arguably say is the most important immediate foreign policy issue on the president's plate right now? Well, as far as Nikki Haley's concerned, the one thing that it definitely demonstrates is that, you know, in order to be a sort of uh, successful, um, more mainstream conservative Republican in this administration, you sort of have to be willing to take it on the chin every once in a while and just let that, you know, roll off your back. You know, the president's going to cut you off at the knees uh, from time to time. And you, you sort of just have to uh, recognize that that's going to happen. Obviously, there's, you know, it seems to me the the most likely thing was just sort of a, an internal game of telephone because obviously mm -hmm. the, uh, you know, the, the this White House is, uh, you know, chaotic and, you know, uh, 
a little amateurish in a lot of things, and you know that 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 applies internally as well as as well as just the final product that that's announced. You know, but I'm it's, not sure that this is just miscommunication. You know, and and I'm going to go back to this 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 larger picture of the the president's weird unwillingness to take a harder line with Russia. And I know the story is mixed. I know that if you look at many of the things that have been done, uh, it stacks up pretty well compared to Obama, and yet. There does appear to be this this unexplained mental block on the president to really take it to Vladimir Putin and Russia. And this is another example. And, and it should have been if there was ever going to be a moment at which the president was going to break with Putin and Russia, wouldn't it have been this this moment where we, we've just launched a missile attack uh, on, uh, on on Syria? The president uh, seemed you know deeply offended and upset by the use of chemical weapons. And yet. No, again, he's the one who puts the brake on, uh, on on tough policies with Russia. I, I think you're right in in general about this. It's it's a it's a sort of almost bizarre tick of the president's to uh, uh, to always sort of well pull put. back from from that. Um, I think in this specific instance, you can look at everything that has happened um, sort of in the public uh, uh, public relations uh, department um, uh, after that strike on Friday on Syria, which is uh, the, the mission accomplished tweet, um, the insistence even by people like Nikki Haley that, you know, they don't want, um, you know, the, the administration doesn't want war in Syria, that they wanted to make a statement. Um, I think the president uh, believes that uh, that the mission is accomplished in Syria, that what he set out to do was to uh, have a targeted strike in response to this uh, horrific chemical weapons attack. And that's it. So these uh, these additional Russian sanctions for him seem to be continuing uh, something that he doesn't want to continue anymore. And we can argue about whether that's a good idea or a bad idea. There's actually been some really great uh, commentary about why such a limited targeted strike in Syria actually in, in many ways could embolden Assad uh, and of course embolden his yeah. his uh, the, the Russians and the Iranians. Um, but if you want to get inside and understand where the president's coming from, he views this as, look, we, we did what we needed to do. Why are we doing uh, even more to antagonize Russia when you know we would like to be friends with them eventually? Well, let's talk about a war that the president does want to wage uh, with Jim Comey right after right after this. So the Daily Standard podcast is brought to you today by the Dollar Shave Club. Look, guys, your bathroom called and it is time to give it the cleaning it deserves. You know that I'm talking about you. Get rid of all the junk that's lying around and freshen it up with high quality products from Dollar Shave Club. Members like me, and I do use all the products, we get everything we need for our morning routine delivered right to our door. DollarShaveClub.com. They deliver everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best. And obviously, I hope people understand this, that this is more than just razors. It's better than shopping in a store. And if you hate shopping in the store as much as I do, you really appreciate this. The Dollar Shave Club has razors, shave butter, shampoo, body wash, toothpaste, everything you need to look, smell, and feel your best. I get an amazing high-quality shave every morning from my Dollar Shave Club Executive Razor, really the best I've ever had. Uh, and since they deliver everything to you, you don't have to set foot in a store. So the shampoo, body wash, toothpaste, you can get all of it from them. So here's what you should do. Clean up your bathroom and your morning routine. Join Dollar Shave Club today for just $5. That's just $5 with free shipping You'll get the six-blade executive razor plus trial sizes of shave butter, body cleanser, and one wipe Charlie's. No relation. Then keep the blades coming for a few bucks more a month. Get yours at dollarshaveclub.com slash weekly standard. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash 
weekly standard. Okay, let's talk about uh, James Comey because uh, this is the latest book to eat Washington. Uh, first thing I got on my uh, email this morning was the uh, the note from uh, audible.com that my pre-order had downloaded. I'd forgotten <laughs> I'd even ordered it. Um, I feel I've read it read it all right now. But uh, you know, let's talk about the, the the way this is playing out and and the fact that that James Comey is he's taking a lot of flack from both the left and the right um, for this book. So uh, is 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 he the white hat or the black hat or or somewhere in between, Andrew Ager? Well, uh, I think that one thing that we're seeing from this this new uh, Comey book is that you know there's there's two ways that people have tried to attack Donald Trump in the past, and the the one way, um, and the way we've sort of seen Comey go up until this point is by you know taking the very sober approach, trying to sort of rise above all of the um, you know. Uh, mud throwing and things like that, that that President Trump has made his style. Um, and the, the benefit to that is obviously you sort of claim the high ground, but the drawback is that, you know, just sort of the, 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 the chaos and the, the sound and the fury of, of President Trump's own sort of more operatic style uh, is that you can just sort of be drowned out. And so obviously what we've uh, now seen Comey do is pivot to the other way of taking on Donald Trump, which is to try to sort of outshout him and be uh, just as flamboyant and just as, you it know, colorful. It doesn't work, does it? Right. Well, I mean, yeah, and it, 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 it certainly can. That's that exactly stuff. what I was just going to bring up is that, yeah, that uh, it certainly doesn't work out well uh, for people who have already established a reputation as sort of a serious guy uh, to then try to, you know, put on this dog and pony show. It just sort of comes off as silly. I mean, I think that's what we're sort of seeing from Comey here. You know, all, all the personal attacks in this book, uh, the, the New York Times, you know, had, had had an article essentially just saying that a lot of uh, Comey's you know, friends and allies were a little worried about this sort of new turn from him, that it sort of undercuts his his relatively serious, you know, former F- FBI director wrongfully fired. So he says, you know, th- that was sort of the the center of his attack before. Um, and, and now it's more just, you know, he's got orange skin, his tie's too long. He's a he's a nut and he's an idiot, you know. I I agree, I agree with everything you said there, um, and 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 yet you step back and you go, okay, he's clearly a showboater who is into self dramatization. There's a lot of drama queen going on here. His his own description of his decision making process with Hillary Clinton's emails really I don't think helps his case. I mean, you know, talk about flawed judgment, really fundamental mistakes. Uh, that I think are going to have long-term negative I- implications for for the country and for the the FBI. But having said that, again, stepping back to see the former FBI director, deputy attorney general, former U.S. attorney, describing the president of the United States as morally unfit and comparing him to a mob boss, it is an extraordinary moment. I do think that he's undermined himself, but you do get, you know, the 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 way that this appears to be lining up is that. He he is really challenging the question of whether or not the president is above the law. And I think that that's going to be one of the frames that we're going to go, go ahead. If there is a who do you like better, I think it breaks down tribally. Who is more credible? I think obviously Comey is going to be more credible than Donald Trump. But I do think that we're, we're about to enter a period where we're going to have this fundamental debate, whether it's because of the firing of the special prosecutor, the deputy attorney general, or whether it's because of, of you know, pardons that are issued. Is is this question? Is anybody above the law? And that's and that that gets us some pretty basic first principles, doesn't it, Michael? No, I I agree with that. Um, I think the problem with this book is that it doesn't tell us anything that we didn't already right. know uh, about that. And what we what we do know is that. Uh, the the president and, and Comey lays this out again, and it's maybe good to get back in sort of the bloodstream. But we know that the president, uh, according to Comey, who I 
I believe in this uh, instance over the, the president's own um, uh, counter explanation, uh, the, the president essentially asked Comey to, uh, in many words, to uh, lay off of Michael Flynn, his, his friend and his national security advisor to for the FBI to uh, make this whole thing go away, uh, this whole Russia cloud. And uh, and that when uh, Comey didn't and when Comey, I think, uh, uh, understandably and, and correctly, uh, did not say publicly what uh, the president wanted him to say, which was that Trump at the moment was not under investigation, that that infuriated the president and led to Comey's firing. Um, I think all of that is true. It's also stuff we you know, I remember I covered it in real time when it was happening. Um it, we don't learn much new from the book. And I think um, to uh, I, I agree with what, what Andrew said, which is that that very solid case um, uh, that Comey has is is sort of subsumed under uh, the the, um, uh, the what what Comey is sort of presenting as, as himself as a, as a kind of uh, hero of the resistance. And I think that undercuts uh, this very legitimate part of the story because it ultimately um Comey makes the, the the center of the story himself, and and that 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 speaks to I think his his personality. I mean, I've got the book right here. Um, the very first words of the book and sort of a foreword are, uh, "Who am I to tell others what ethical leadership is?" I mean, right there, that sort of <laughs> it demonstrates sort of the, the the way that Comey ends up sort of putting himself in the center of this. When the truth is, is that the person at the center of this whole story is Donald J. Trump, and Comey has a very important part of that story to tell, but it's just one part, and it, this I think this book sort of undermines that his yeah. his very and, high and, position. And let's, let's turn the frame as, as, as you point out to, to to President Trump, whose reaction has been even even by Trumpian standards extraordinary. Although you hear me sighing because I feel like we've been through this before, <laughs> referring to the FBI director as a slimeball and suggesting that he's committed many crimes, should be thrown in jail. You know, there. You know, again, we've become numbed. But again, it is extraordinary when the president of the United States, the chief magistrate of the federal government, is throwing out these kinds of charges uh, about a a critic. Now, I, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, get into the whole, you know, creeping authoritarianism uh, type uh, mode. But on the other hand, you, you do get the sense that the president. Has no one telling him that, look, you'd be better off ignoring this, focusing on your job as commander in chief and these these uh, this this constant uh, drumbeat of, of how your political opponents and critics should be punished or thrown in jail is profoundly disturbing. It's and and conservatives ought to be profoundly disturbed about it. Right. I mean, yeah, that's absolutely true. And one thing that I think is worth differentiating is that it's it's interesting when you when you uh, read Donald Trump's tweets and see the things he says. And not not to take anything from anything away from what you just said, um, but but it's almost as though there's two modes in which he's going about it. There's Donald Trump president, where he's talking about the things that he's actually doing, the things he's done, uh, the things that should happen with the country. And then there's you know Donald Trump aggrieved man, where he he talks as though you know he's not in charge of this entire Donald apparatus. Trump the pundit. Yeah. Right. I mean, where 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 it's like, isn't isn't it terrible? All these things that the federal government, which I lead, is doing. You know, where the, <laughs> the, the Justice Department and the you know the the Attorney General. You know, he we're, we're, uh, this deep state uh, type conspiracy type thought that uh, about a government that he leads. He runs. <laughs> well, I think Charlie, and I think to, to to back up what Andrew just said, I think the 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 sort of danger or the problem with all of this is not 
a, um, a a literal sort of authoritarianism from President Trump and his government. I mean, I think we can we can see pretty clearly that anything that the president really wants to do along these lines is going to hit up against some institutional problems, even his own Justice Department, and th- some competency problems. He sort of just doesn't have the the the, the, yeah. the uh, people to do it. The problem, I think, is that it sort of poisons the political atmosphere, and it it makes um, people sort of doubt their institutions even more. There's nothing that's coming out of all of this, out of the slime, slime ball stuff that, that strengthens uh, American institutions. And you can say what you want about the weaknesses within those institutions, but you know, you, you do sort of hope that, that leaders, and Donald Trump is a leader by, by dint of his, where he is in his position, would, would try to do things to, 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 to bolster those institutions and to bolster Americans' uh, confidence, and he's not doing point. that. This point is really important, Michael, because I, I, I do think that the, the, the danger is less what he's going to get away with in the short term. It's the long term impact of the political culture, yes. what we're willing to a- accept, the way we reconceptualize politics as warfare and this undermining of the institutions, which I think sometimes we take for granted that, that Americans respect these norms. And, and a lot of these norms and, and a lot of the institutional respect that uh, that, that we rely on in, a, in our in our Republican constitutional system of government are informal. And if, in fact, the public distrusts them. Or if you believe that politics is about destroying your opponent, no matter what the tactics are, that could have a long-term effect. I mean, I, I, I still think that we're, uh, we have a hangover from the Clintons in the 1990s, maybe even a hangover from Chappaquiddick um, in terms of ethics and what we're willing to put up with. And you kind of wonder 20, 30 years from now what the long-term implications to the political and institutional culture of the country are. So I think that's a really important point. Okay, Char- Charlie, re- Charlie, real quick. Say, go ahead, no. Yeah, real real quick, just role, yeah, no, it's a, one, more, one more point along that line, which is, um, and to steal something from our friend Jonathan Last, um, this is a great example, too, of sort of how Trump and Trump, the Trump era is corrupting. Um, you have a guy like James Comey who um, comes into the FBI with a good reputation, a solid reputation, is almost a Boy Scout-like reputation. And where are we now, um, you know, almost a year after he was fired, is he's making jokes about, uh, in his book, about the size of President Trump's hands. It sort of brings everybody down, even the people who are supposedly, uh, you know, the last honest men. And that's what yeah. I want to say about that. All right. One, one, one last question. I want to throw this to, to you, uh, Andrew. It is a uh, tax day. I assume that uh, you gentlemen have all filed all of your taxes <laughs> by now. Um, I sent mine off yesterday because I always try to wait until the absolute last minute. But there's a new NBC poll out showing that the Republican tax bill is still not popular after all of this time. Uh, 27% approval, 36% disapproval. Now, I know that a lot of Republicans have been banking a great deal on this tax bill, this tax cut becoming more popular. Why hasn't it? Well, I don't know what's going to happen in the next uh, few months uh, as far as the messaging on this bill is concerned. One big thing is, as you say, you know, we're only just now exiting tax season from last year's tax year, which was done according to, you know, uh, the tax laws that were in place before the new bill came out. So, you know, people have started to perhaps see some differences in their paychecks. Um, but, but in terms of the actual structure of the tax system uh, and, and their own interaction with the structure of the tax system, uh, nothing's changed. So, you know, by by tax season.
reason. Next time, people may actually uh, realize, hey, actually, this is you know somewhat simpler and easier easier to navigate. Um, but you know, as as you say, this is uh, hopefully uh, for Republicans. They they hope that this will be a a big winner for them in the 2018 election. So 2019 uh, April 15th is not a very good date for people <laughs> for for them for people to start uh, liking the tax bill. Okay, here's an alternative question. Have Republicans stepped on their own message? Because rather than focusing on this tax cut, we've been debating the last several weeks about tariffs. We've been talking about trade wars. And uh, there's there's more and more attention now uh, being focused on the, the massive deficits. And I, I wonder how that's going to play. The trillion-dollar-a-year deficits, as far as the eye can see, which – um, does that take the bloom off this 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 tax cut, uh, Michael? Warren? I think it kind of muddles the message, the economic muddles, message, right. um, especially as. Um, but I mean, we'll have to see. I mean, I think that anybody who sort of understands how free, uh, how how trade and tariffs work, uh, once we start to see prices go up, which I think we will, and the White House doesn't seem to be that concerned uh, about prices going up, um, that will really muddle the Republican message. Um, and I th- I think that. But there's an interesting thing going on here, too, which is that even if the tax even as the tax bill is sort of unpopular, um, there has been a a, uh, a a narrowing of the democratic advantage on the on the sort of generic ballot, um, which suggests that probably Democrats do win the House uh, in November at this point, uh, but not by as big a margin. And it's so, not a lot, and, no. and and I'm wondering why. And I do wonder if um, the sort of discussion that that actually kind of affects a lot of people and motivates a lot of people about guns that happened after the Parkland shooting doesn't sort of give uh, Republican voters uh, a reason that they haven't had. Uh, uh, in the Trump era to actually go out and get to the polls it has actually nothing to do with Donald Trump or taxes or tariffs now, or anything. Wouldn't that be ironic when yes. you think about it? That <laughs> once again, the media, which was telling itself after 2016, don't be blind to these things that are going on out of there. And some of the, the poll numbers would suggest that pro-gun Republicans are becoming more motivated. And and yet, when you think about the media coverage, Andrew, it has been, what, about 95-5 on these amazing kids from Parkland, not pointing out the fact that, you know, there's there's millions of other voters out there, law-abiding gun owners, who are watching this story as well and drawing completely opposite conclusions. Right, yeah, and, and I, I was just, just going to say, and this, this sort of feeds into it, you know, there's only so many different things that you can pay attention to at one time, right? right. And so, you know, a message like tax cuts sort of relies, if that's going to be your central message, on there not being more interesting things than the tax code in the news <laughs> to sort of d- distract you. And, and you know, we, we've seen that with this Cohen stuff recently, you know, it's, it's hard to even think about taxes when things like that are going on. But one issue that uh, does you sort of rise to that level of urgency, especially for Republican voters, is the, is the issue of, you know, gun rights and things like that, that that you know, they they believe that you know this is a right that is actually in danger for them and that you know motivates them sort of uh, emotionally in a way that you know uh, perhaps getting a little more money back is good but does not actually fire you up and convince you uh, to go out and, and 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 vote or even just to remember uh, when when voting season comes around again that that was a big issue with all this other sort of chaos that's it, been going it on. It seems so long ago, right? I mean that that seems like wow that was uh, that was less than a year ago they they passed that, but since we have the the presidency of distraction that that is going to happen i i think i've mentioned this before on this podcast but every day i, I get emails from uh, paul ryan's office and and he has been on message just <laughs> relentlessly on this tax cut on this tax reform but he's like this lonely voice in the wilderness you get the sense that he's out there trying to talk about this you know spitting into the tsunami uh, that, that is uh, there are donald trump's distractions and he's still out there doing it but 
And even is, even his own caucus would rather talk about a lot of these, you know, distractions than than the tax cut message. Absolutely. Gentlemen, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it uh, very much. And thank you for listening to the Daily Standard podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back again tomorrow.